Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Hello, this is Eric, and I just want to give you a little preamble before this next uh, recording. We, uh, Scott actually, did a webinar uh, just a, c- a couple weeks ago, and we got the recording of that, and we're going to put that up for you to listen to, so you can listen to the whole webinar, and you get the, the opportunity to do that, and that'll be our episode for the day. So as normal, if you have questions, you can send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com, but we hope you enjoy this uh, this week. Thanks. Hmm. Hello, everybody. Um, My name is James Gleason, and I'm a local church pastor. I pastor in Hillsborough, Oregon, and uh, uh, coming on 30 years. And at my church, uh, 24 as senior pastor, youth pastor before that, and now I just am old enough. I guess I get to do what I want. I'm not entirely sure that's true, but we'll see. Uh, And I'm excited to be the executive director of Church Venture Northwest, where the uh, Northwest Conservative Baptists in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Alaska. And many of you are already familiar with that, but just in case. And I am pleased to have my friends Scott Reedley uh, on Zoom today with us. In fact, the whole idea for this came from, I think, a lunch we had. Mm-hmm. It was sunny, so it would have been this spring, and we were outside eating really awesome food in your beautiful town, and we kind of kicked up this idea. So, Scott, go ahead and introduce yourself. And then I want you to that I'll lay a couple ground rules, some thoughts for us, some information, and then we'll let you go right into your presentation. All right. Well, my name is Scott Reevely, and I'm the pastor at New Life Church, and we are a multi-site uh, church in Clackamas County. I have been doing that for uh, over 30 years and have been on staff here for almost 35. And so it has uh, been uh, really a blessing to me and my family, so we're grateful for the church and the for them even allowing me to do this. We, uh, I, with my uh, colleague, uh, Eric Eastep, we do a podcast called City on a Hill. And that is kind of how we got into the whole church and politics arena. I'll tell that story in a minute. But um, anyway, that, that's uh, maybe a start. Okay. Uh, and, and I would encourage you to, uh, everybody to check that out, City on a Hill. Um, I love it. And I really appreciate some of the things you've done there. I haven't listened to all of them, but I, I, I listened to the first number of them that you gave me. A couple of things people are going to want to know, is this being recorded? And it is. Um, and so we'll make this available to you afterwards. So we have a webpage on churchventurenorthwest.com uh, where you can find out more information about it. We will send that out actually in an email to all participants. And so hopefully later today or so, uh, Eric, our trusty web guy will have that all ready for us and um, you'll be able to to take a look at that if you uh, didn't get to make it uh, or if you really uh, want to share it but uh, it'll be there and um, the the chat is off so we don't have any chat available but we do have Q&A and so what we'll be asking is when Scott's sharing for um, 30 minutes or so um, however he wants to do it whenever he wants to do it he'll kind of wrap up and um, whatever you have by way of questions, go ahead and put in the Q&A box. It's not the chat box, but it's the Q&A box. And what's going to happen there is Jamie, uh, my amazing assistant, will then start texting me those questions um, as they come together. Some of them will be repeats. And what you'll do then is you'll have those and I'll be looking at them on my phone. And then when Scott's ready, I will fire away for you. Okay, so. So other than that, you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed. You can raise your hand, I guess, but we won't answer. Uh, we answered your wife, but that, right? That's all. Well, she's we important. You've got to answer her. All right. I got to answer that one. Um, so anyway, so those are a couple things there. We'll have one of these podcasts per month. Uh, I got planned for six of them. Uh, so between January and June, we might have some more guests come on as we stir up the waters and find people that are really quality skilled in these conversations. And um, every month we'll send that out and let you know who the next um, guest is going to be. And um, also, in addition, if there's any handouts that Scott or the presenter is going to give to us, uh, we will also send those out in the email and make them available at my um, 
uh, website there as we go. Okay, so with that, Scott, I'm gonna turn it over to you and I'm gonna make it uh, full screen for you and you are going to be good to go, okay? All right. Well, thank you. It is uh, my privilege to talk about this. Um, I uh, wanted to start by telling you kind of how I got into this because like I said, I've been doing this for 30 some years and it was my plan to uh, steer clear of politics. Um, after all, I thought the church should be separate from the state. I thought that was one of those Baptist distinctives that I thought we would kind of work on. And so the church teaching should have nothing to do with politics. And for that to be the case, I realized that I had to ignore uh, a lot of clues that ended up being in plain sight. And there are some things that woke me up. Uh, one, the, the worst one, of course, was COVID. I think it probably woke all of us up and that's probably why everybody's here is like, we don't want to do that again. And for my uh, sake, I don't want to do it again either. But um, I remember it was actually the day that James started as the CV Northwest <laughs> uh, director of, was the day we got a notification that everything was going to have to close down because of COVID. And my initial thought was, I do not want to let the government tell me what to do. I'm going to be one of those that stand strong. And um, I had some people around me that were a little uh, more level-headed than I was. And I had a, a lot to learn about uh, how God might delegate uh, authority to the government and what role the government would play in public health, in religious practice, in what religious discrimination might look like, and a whole host of other questions. And I had to answer all those in a context of not being very happy about it. Um, and then it, <laughs> that turned out to be the easy part. The um, We had all kinds of stuff like everybody did during uh, 2020. Uh, not only the, the shutdowns and the masks and the distancing and all the things, but it was probably around the, the turn of the year when I had, I had somebody come. Uh, this uh, the, Two things happened the same month for us. One was one guy came to me and he, he just said, I need a meeting. Um, we're leaving the church. I said, oh, really? And he said, yep, yeah, because uh, you said there are... Uh, subtle and nuanced reasons to uh, vote for a pro-abortion candidate. And I said, really? I said, I don't remember uh, ever saying that. And then I thought a little bit about what he might have been referring to. And I had said that you should be humble because there are subtle and nuanced reasons why someone might disagree with you politically. That's what I actually said in the sermon. And he said, oh, oh, okay. Uh, we're still leaving the church though <laughs> and you know he kind of put uh the pedal to the metal and it was he was gone just like that because i wasn't conservative enough for him um and then uh that same month we had somebody else come and say you know what we're leaving the church because uh i've got friends who are um who are kind of into Black Lives Matter and they wouldn't feel comfortable in our church. And so you're not uh, progressive enough for me. And so I'm leaving the church. And it just seemed like those things went on over and over and all kinds of my friends had those kinds of experiences as well. I, I talked to one pastor and he, he met with a guy who was leaving his church and uh, he said, well, why, why are you leaving our church? And the guy said, well, I, I want an apolitical church. And he was really flummoxed. And he said, how can that even be? I can't imagine a church that's more apolitical than, than us. The guy said, well, well, maybe, but I want an apolitical church that leans a little more to the left. And we've all, I think, seen that play out over these last several years. I, I, we had another... A woman, she's recently joined our church, partly because of the way that their church handled COVID, which I'll talk about it a little more in a minute, but uh, she joined our church. At the time, she was teaching kindergarten Sunday school class. So kindergarten Sunday school class. She shows up, you know, with her handouts and her things that she was going to do with these kindergartners. 
and one of the little one of the little boys uh, announces to the class, "We need to kill the governor." And she was she was flabbergasted. Why would this kindergartner feel like he needs to kill the governor? And uh, after asking a couple more questions, realized that that's the way that her parents, or his parents, were talking when they were at home, and that was the conversation that the church was having about politics. And so, um, you know, that's that's something that I think all of us have probably experienced in one way or the other, and kind of why we're probably on this call right now is just to say, what can we do to um, to prepare and, and make a little progress so it's not as bad in 2024 as it was in 2020? We're, I think, anticipating a divisive uh, election for sure. We never know when the next uh, shoe's going to drop on racial or other uh, really complex issues that we don't know the answer to. And so we're going to have to come up with, with some way to navigate that. And I want to I want to just say kind of up front why I care about this, and and hopefully this will set the table for the other uh, webinars that they're going to do, and that is just simply I think this is a problem for the church for several reasons. It's a problem for the church, first of all, because the church is unable, at least our church was unable to have family conversations. Not only did not only did I hear that for you know. Uh, Families at Thanksgiving and Christmas, they were unable to talk about it. I found that the church was unable to talk about it as a, as a, a family, that there were um, concerns about woke culture and cancel culture and racism and whether it was a biblical issue or whether or not I am racist or CRT and Black Lives Matter and all, all of the things that swirled around and the church was unable to talk about it. We had a, uh, we just were kind of stuck in the middle of the summer and and uh, George Floyd had just been uh, murdered and we wanted to uh, respond in some way, acknowledge it in some way. And we said one sentence that had something about systemic racism in that sentence, just a, a passing sentence. And we heard about it. We heard about it from several people, like there's no such thing. You can't talk about that. And why would the church talk about systemic racism. And, you know, I didn't even know it at the time. I was still, I, I still had my head in the sand trying to not deal with this and uh, realized that actually we live in Oregon. Oregon was founded with exclusion laws in its constitution. So at least at one time it was systemic. And so there is such thing as systemic racism and it does exist. And is the church going to talk about it or not? Those those are family conversations that we were, were unable to have at the time. And um, so I began to understand that I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to start trying to disciple the church about this. The second reason I think this, this matters for the church is has to do with evangelism. Uh, David French said that politics is the place where non-Christians first encounter Christ followers. And I want you to stop and think about that. I, I think there is a lot of truth to that, when, especially when Christians don't know non-Christians and non-Christians don't know Christians. The only place they're going to encounter Christians is what they're told on TV happens with um, politics. And so politics is a place where Christians encounter Christ followers. And is that really how we want to be known? Uh, the unity of church, uh, the the unity of the church is one of the things that we're going to have to really focus on if we're going to communicate to uh, the world that uh, that we're different. By by this will all people know you're my disciples if you love one another. Uh, Jesus prayed, and uh, I and them and you and me that they might be perfectly one, that the world might know that you sent me and love me even as you love. Uh, and love them even as you love me. And I just have to say that during 2020, and I anticipate unless we work at it, we're going to have in 2024, that we will not reflect uh, to the world the reputation of Jesus that we're after. So uh, that's another reason I think it matters. I think it matters because one of the interesting things that 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 is happening and has happened is that the body of Christ has sorted not on theological lines, 
but along political lines. It used to be that the Presbyterians or the Baptists or the Methodists, there was this political um, distinctives in the church. But what has happened, I think, uh, over the years of the pandemic is that um, the church has sorted politically so that there are churches that now are identified as those that you know wear masks or don't wear masks those that you know sort of blow off the government or those that don't and that is the uh, it's become a church growth strategy even that uh, churches are growing because of the way they deal with politics and it just strikes me that that's maybe not exactly the way that jesus wanted that to happen uh, we've had people leave oregon uh, not just leave the church, but leave Oregon for the politi- for the politics of Arizona or Idaho or Texas, and not not to mention leave uh, our church. So that's of a concern because I just I just started uh, a book that was written in 2010, and it's it's a classic. The author said to his relief, he said this could be worse because polarization has not accompanied has not been accompanied by religious segregation either literally or even metaphorically. This was his statement of hope and optimism in 2010 when he wrote it. And Robert Putnam uh, was the guy who wrote it. The book's called American Grace. And it struck me as I read that, that he wouldn't be so optimistic now because that polarization has been accompanied by religious segregation. And I think that that's going to be a big problem going forward in this next election because now we don't know people who don't who believe differently than us now we're not able to have these family conversations that enable us to see it more clearly so that is uh i think another reason that i I, we have to pay attention to this and we have to work at discipling our people so these are some of the things that um that I care about, I hope you care about, and I hope that's why you're here. But uh, through the course of 2020 in particular, we realized that, that we have to address this. And when we were unable to talk to ourselves about it, we really, I, I recognized I had not done a, any kind of job uh, discipling our church in the arena of politics or public uh, life. And so uh, that was that was a change that um, I made and that uh, uh, we began to work at in 2020 and start a podcast in 2021. But all I'd ever known, I'll just tell you, all I'd ever known was the moral majority and the Cold War. That's where, that's how I grew up. And the moral majority uh, essentially reduced Christians' involvement in politics to which candidate or which policy would reflect my worldview the best. Vote for him or her. And uh, that ended up um, asking the question, is the Democratic platform or the Republican platform more moral? And morality was the litmus test for Christian engagement in politics, Um, which is really interesting because that was one of the functions, I think, that even the founders wanted religion to play in public life was to keep people moral so that they could be governed in the way that they... um, scripted in the in the founding documents and so of course when the moral majority swung that way the the right answer (laughs) became the republican platform was more moral and that's that was the context that i had going into 2020. i missed a few clues i told you that i missed a few clues along the way one of the one of the clues was that i was talking to somebody who said that um they thought Glenn Beck had done more for revival in America than any um, religious leader had ever done. Now, those of you who knew Glenn Beck, this was back in the early 2000s, I think, when he had a talk show and he was a Mormon. And I just scratched my head at that comment, but I didn't didn't really fully register. What does revival mean if that's the way, if if a Mormon can, can make it happen? That, that just didn't compute, but I kind of let it go and put my head back in the sand. And then a few years later, I I prayed at a regional gathering for one of the big um, 
labor unions. And I grew up in a home that was very anti-union. They were liberal, they were socialists at best. And so I, I did this as a favorite of friend and I show up and I'm, I'm like dressed up and I'm gonna go pray. And I, I was shocked when the first three people that I met, they introduced themselves to me and they said, welcome pastor, we are doing the Lord's work. And I said, how can you be doing the Lord? <laughs> I didn't say this, I thought this, how can you be doing the Lord's work? And I did my best not to appear stunned. And they continued, well, we're working for better health care so that we can care for the sick. And we're working for better pay so that we can care for the poor. And we're working for better retirement so we can take care of the elderly and widows. And I realized, oh, that's a pretty straight line to the work of the Lord. Yet it, has, it was kind of the opposite. And they were on the wrong team from what I had been told was the work of the Lord. But again, I kind of put my head back in the sand and didn't think too much about it. Um, and as I, as I thought about it, one of the reasons that I was able to do that was sort of the cultural context in which I found myself. Um, <laughs> um, I grew up, like I said, during the Cold War, and, and things were nice and clean in the Cold War. Some of you are maybe my age, and you, um, you remember the good old days of the Cold War, right? When um, the environment was, was really pretty simple. We were the good guys. Christian America was good. Atheistic communists of USSR were bad. Uh, you know, what was it? Rocky IV was the best movie ever made. And um, so the whole point of politics then was to stand against the bad guys and stand for the good guys. And, and what happened when that was the case was Christianity in America uh, through the really the 50s through the 80s kind of wed and were somewhat indiscernible and you could get away with putting your head down and not paying attention. And then the world, I, I really didn't get it again when the world changed, the Berlin, Berlin Wall fell and the Cold War thawed and um, that coincided, I think, within a short time of the end of the moral majority. And, and so during the 90s, when I was first getting started, especially I could get by without talking about politics. But uh, that changed, again, probably without me paying much attention. In um, 2001, 9-11, when Islamic fundamentalists uh, flew their airplanes into Twin Towers and one of the things that happened is popular opinion changed. And so it wasn't Soviet atheists that w were the enemy any longer. It became fundamentalists that were public enemy number one. And it didn't really depend what you believed. What mattered was how strongly you believed it. If you believed it strongly enough that it might be something you would die for, then you were dangerous. And that changed how the church engaged in politics. And so um, anyway, I tried to avoid that too and not think about that. And then 2020 was just, I couldn't avoid it any longer. So I began to look for answers in how Jesus and the early church viewed Rome and how did that translate to Americans? So we started City on the Hill. We named it City on the Hill because I was pretty sure that City on the Hill was supposed to be the church, not Reagan's America and not Obama's America. And so we began to try and see what kind of political statement Jesus was making with his church. And so, um, <clears throat> oh dear. The, uh, let, me just, let me just say, this is top of mind for me because of Christmas. I don't know if you noticed it at Christmas, but the gospel writers no doubt wanted to connect the birth of Jesus and with God's redemptive plan throughout the Old Testament. And both Matthew and Mark start their stories with the royal lineage of Jesus and set him up against an insecure tyrant named Herod. And his birth is set in the most political of circumstances. Luke started starts what we read every Christmas with uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus 
that all the world should be registered. It was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up to Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, Bethlehem, to be registered with his wife. Anyway, you've got in that introduction to Jesus, you've got Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, Herod's jurisdiction of Judea, royal decrees, registrations, taxes, not to mention the city of King David. And my question is, are those references merely accidental or did those gospel writers intend to set Jesus in a political context? And you may say, oh, they were accidental. Okay. Have you read Isaiah chapter nine at Christmas? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there, should, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold justice and righteousness from this day forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And... What kind of government is that if it's not actually government? What, what are we talking about with Jesus if he didn't aim at some kind of political uh, statement here? And I, I'm just going to say that once you see it in the scripture, you can't unsee it. And I'm going to get ahead of myself a minute, but um, Jesus, Jesus intended, I think, to set up a kingdom that was in opposition to the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of this world. So I'm going to give kind of three uh, or two, two kind of quick things, I guess. Uh, one is that Jesus gives one job to be disciple makers. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. This call of discipleship begins with a statement of government, a statement of authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It is the same exact word, exousia, that is in all of the passages about governmental authority, like Romans 13. And so at the very least, we need when we're going to make disciples, we need to get clear on how the authority of Christ interfaces with governmental authority, at least. And even more so, I think we need to help disciples bring everything under the authority of Christ, which includes bringing their political persuasion under the authority of Christ. So that disciples are stamped and fashioned by Jesus rather than stamped and fashioned by public politics. Jesus is staking his claim on his disciples and we're to go and make disciples who make other disciples. And so there are two problems that I see here with discipleship. One is the first is willful. Um, either people don't want to submit to Christ. They don't want every to live every aspect of their life with reference to Christ, or it's ignorance. And I'm going to say that claim that mine was ignorance. I didn't think I needed to connect my political life with my Christian life. And I want to conform every part of my life to Christ, but I didn't think that it had to do with politics. So that's, that's a job Christ gave us. If you think about it even a little more closely, the Greek word for church, he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Jesus wanted to build a church. The word is ecclesia or called out ones. And certainly we've been called out of the darkness into the kingdom of his, his dear son. But the word ecclesia is the same word used in the New Testament and in the New Testament world for political gathering. Uh, it is a regular assembly of citizens. That's what you see in Acts chapter 19 when they were uh, trying to decide whether to uh, get Paul on charges of disrupting commerce when, when Diana was going to be... Um, they were worried about Diana of the Ephesians, and they called an assembly or an ecclesia. It wasn't a church, certainly, but it was a political gathering. Jesus was forming a political assembly in this, with this little band of disciples that would represent a rival king and be an ambassador 
for uh, another homeland and another kingdom. I think the church is political by its very nature. I went to uh, Turkey last summer. It was a it was a gift that I got to go and saw uh, temples built to emperors because the, the New Testament church was born as uh, in a context where the emperors of Rome declared themselves to be God. They deified themselves to be direct rivals to the risen son of God. And so the early church was sometimes accused of being atheists because they didn't believe in Caesar. Uh, I mean, we saw on that trip, you could have uh, your own private statue of the Caesar, change out the head when you got a new Caesar so that you could worship him at home. And it's it was crazy then, and I'm going to say it's crazy now, because our job is to disciple people, and how are you going to disciple them? Who's discipling them? Um, are you discipling them, or is uh, their news outlet deciding them, discipling them, really? Think about it. I mean, you get half an hour with people a week. How, how much time do they get with Fox News? How much time do they get with CNN? How much time... Do they get reading their niche uh, news source uh, that favors one party over the other? Um, and so are you going to make disciples of people for Jesus' sake, or uh, are, is somebody else going to do it? And what does it mean if somebody's fully bought into their party? They're going to believe the party platform, right? What does it mean for a person to be fully bought into Jesus? And how are you going to disciple um, a person so that they're fully bought in like that. That's the work we have in front of us. So that's one of the reasons we need to care for is Jesus gave us commission to bring everything under his authority. The other reason that I would say that we need to really pay attention to this is because I believe that politics is a substitute gospel. Most of the people who really, really care about it, care about it because it substitutes um, for them for the real gospel. You see, the, the storyline of the gospel is really good news because, it you know, creation, fall, re redemption, restoration. God created everything. He made it perfect and entered the world. Problems started. People and systems broke. God sent a redeemer named Jesus, a savior, to make things right. One day, things are going to be perfect again as God intended. So there's this, this storyline of the gospel and depending on which political story people believe, they just simply substitute one or all of those elements for um, uh, political or partisan uh, political or partisan story that replaces the good news of Jesus. Let me uh, <clears throat> just suggest how that happens. I'm going to do this as fast as I can, but maybe you have the story of a Christian nation that this nation was founded or created as a Christian nation. And so the ideal would be if we could just get back to what it was like when we were a Christian nation, we'd be all set. And so while the founding is an involved and uh, interesting topic, which I'd love to take on and talk about it sometime, uh, the founders, I think, I think, deliberately built a secular, pluralistic, democratic republic uh, that respected, or at least was built to respect um, all religions and give free exercise. It was theistic, but not patently Christian. You don't, uh, the God of the Constitution is not the risen Jesus. And so, anyway, that's just, we can talk about that some other time if you like, but that's an alternate story okay so who's going to be the savior in this story uh someone who's going to make america great again bring back america back to the good old days okay that's going to be the savior what are we looking forward to we're looking forward to having power and privilege we used to have that's a story that's a different story that is a false gospel or you might have a liberal story by liberal i mean not uh progressive or left-leaning, but somebody who's really into freedom or liberty, right? That's what America is all about. Um, so what is the, what is that? We're created for liberty, right? That would be the thing. 
What's the problem? The problem is anything that impinges on my freedom. And it could be a progressive impingement, a progressive oppression, like sexual restraints, for instance. Or it could be a conservative uh, restraint, like, say, gun rights. Somebody's going to restrict my ability to own a gun. And those that's the problem. Who's going to save us? Someone that's going to promise to preserve my rights or my freedoms. They're going to fight and stand up for my freedoms. That's going to be uh, the savior. Not Jesus. That's going to be a different savior. What are we looking forward to? A life that I can live with full freedom where I'm unencumbered by those limits. Or take nationalism. Nationalism is defined by my you know, my people, my place. And so we uh, are formed into a nation. What is then the threat? Immigrants or outsiders? What, so what are we going to do? Who's going to be the savior? Somebody that secures the borders. And what's going to be um, the ideal? The ideal is going to be homogeneous people like us. Or you take maybe the narrative of equality. And I'm doing this as fast as I can, so I'm sorry that I not spend more time on this, but take the narrative, the political narrative of equality. All men are created equal. Okay, well, that one goes right back to the founding, doesn't it? And so that's, we were made to be equal. Then what's, what is then the uh, issue? The issue is inequality. What's is going to be the savior? This some kind of redistribution of wealth through taxation and some kind of adjustment, right? That's going to be who saves it. What's going to be um, perfection? Perfection is going to be like equality again. And so when that happens, then we're going to be happy or we think we're going to be happy. That's the false narrative. One more. <laughs> uh, maybe you take the, the, the false gospel of capitalism and you say, we were, we were made, uh, this, this land that God gave us in America was so that we might be wealthy and comfortable. That's what, that's what uh, we were made for. Okay, what then becomes uh, the problem or the brokenness? Taxes or economic instability? Uh, what's what's going to be the savior? The savior is going to be somebody that comes and promises to recover the economy. You're going to hear that, I'm pretty sure, in the next few months. Okay, then what will uh, restoration or perfection look like? It's going to be increased wealth for everybody. And that's going to be the false gospel uh, of uh, one of the false, false gospel narratives of politics. And so what I want to say to you, though, is if you care about the gospel, you're going to care about politics because any storyline that people are buying into and giving themselves to is a false gospel that is going to substitute in their minds for the real gospel. And they're going to have a real hard time saying, what then is Jesus going to save me from? What do I need him to save me from? What is it going to look like when he does save me? And so uh, for the sake of Jesus, we're going to need to, um, we're going to need to work at um, making disciples. So that's, that's really kind of, uh, I'm just going to drop it there and just remind you, I think we, we want to make political disciples uh, so that we don't endure the pain of 2020, so that we bring our whole selves and train others to bring their whole selves under the authority of Christ, and so that we don't fall headlong into politics um, and believe uh, a different gospel. And so may God, may God help us. <clears throat> All right. So, Scott, thank you uh, so much. Um, th there is a lot there, and I, I could see you uh, wrestling with how much to dig into. Um, what I'd love to do is I'd love to get everybody that has been online to think through some of the questions you may have. And uh, we want to go and uh, be able to address those. If you have any questions, I think, you know, as I was listening to you, you know, th there's a, there's a lot that, um, I wrote down, uh, but the number one thing that I ask as a, a pastor is, um, number one, who am I let disciple me? Mm -hmm. because I, I got a car with um, satellite radio a number of years ago. And so I dialed in MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, and then another one. And I wanted to listen to four. And I would just on long drives, just go back and forth. And I decided I hated all of them because there's, there's, 
there's a story and everything has an agenda. And it it just reminded me that there is no neutrality when it comes to news. And so who are we letting disciple our hearts? Um, uh, But the bigger question then as a pastor for me is, okay, so I recognize it for myself that I have a responsibility to um, make sure that I'm being discipled by Jesus and not by politics. Okay, but we live in a political world. And how do we then pastor people through this um, politically charged world. And that's kind of the big topic that we're looking at over these six months and varying angles and such. Um, so how how does that affect then the regular pastoral ministry we see like preaching and teaching, shepherding people, um, even our own personal evangelistic relationships with lost people around us. So that's a big broad brush there, but just right there, that's kind of my question, Scott, that you'll joyfully answer very concisely. Um, You've wrestled through it. You've got a podcast. That's your outlet. That's how you talk about this. Is that the only area? And if not, how do you pastor people through a politically charged conversation? Well, two or three things come to mind. The first is, I think, reject what is the normal uh, expectation that disciple, you know, discipling people in politics means either you help them decide whether they're going to be red or blue, whether they're going to vote with uh, for a Democratic person or a Republican person, and you've got this binary choice, more or less, that. I mean, that's the game. And if you play the game, you're playing checkers like everybody else. And I think one of the one of the ways that I want to pass for people is to play chess while everyone else is playing checkers and say, I want to I want to follow King Jesus. And what is his what does his agenda look like? Number one, in this world, number two, in as far as the method, as well as the uh, the means as well as the end of the political uh, involvement. Because I think we we tend to think I'm, my vote is what matters or my opinion is what matters when in, when in reality, the way that I express that matters also. So that's one thing is just elevate above partisan fray. I think the other thing is I bring it in and, and maybe people don't want me to, but um, I still have a job. I bring it into my preaching all the time. When I said, when I talked about Christmas, I brought it into Christmas. And I bring it in every chance I get to point out that Jesus was really dealing with these things that we're dealing with when, um, when he was on, the, on this earth. And he labored under political expectations as well. Even his disciples missed the point. Why did they miss the point? Because of politics. Really, that was really the reason the disciples missed. And so uh, I think it's no surprise or no accident that he's got uh, Matthew, a tax collector, and he's got a zealot, both in, as disciples, partnering them up. And they're, you know, they're going two by two around to spread the gospel, that there is something bigger than both of those partisan objectives. So those are a couple things that come to mind. Uh, that and just... Uh, helping people listen would be okay. I've done a lot of talking for a guy who says you need to listen but yes I think helping people listen because most people are not very good they're waiting to to talk and I've learned one of the things I've learned trying to do a podcast is people don't want to hear something that doesn't agree with what they already believe and if that's the case it's really a us you know you almost have no conversations and so right. just help people ask good questions and sit around to listen and learn to ask better questions. So those are three things that come to my mind. And not letting one particular party, whatever that might be, define us um, going into conversations. Yeah. The church is, I mean, the church cannot be contained within one political party, can't be contained within one nation. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I, I I reached out to uh, a missionary uh, to China when we were having to wear masks. I said, what would they say in China if uh, they were, if they had to worship with masks? Oh, he, he laughed at me and he just said, they'd be really happy to worship. 
And I thought, oh, that's a little different than I see it. But anyway, to ask the question about what would it look like other places in the world is a good church question, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, because we're, we're we're so myopic, and it's just we're America, right? We, yeah. we kind of only have to think about ourselves. We're the center well, of the universe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we are. We are. Um, so as we think about discipling people, um, as disciples, how do we fulfill our mission of making disciples in the middle of media distraction and polarization. So when we go back to 2020, um, there were so many storms we were hit with, not not just COVID, but politics, uh, racism issues, systemic struggles. Um, I mean, there were just a lot, right? Okay, there was the Me Too stuff. There were so many issues that everybody wanted to be at the top of the pile, right? How do we disciple people in the middle of all the distractions without ignoring the tension of the world we live in? Well, my my first answer is if if you've waited until you're in the middle of it, you're too late. That's the thing I learned in 2020 was I was too late in 2020. I'm hoping that people are getting, I mean, hoping that's why you're here in January is to get out ahead of it a little bit. But some of it is, I think you have to, you have to, ask what is the claim of jesus on this issue what is the claim of jesus on you know ethnicity what is the claim of jesus on gender what is the claim of jesus on these things and continually go back to jesus and the way of life in his kingdom understanding that a christian is an ambassador for another kingdom understanding that the church is an embassy of a foreign country so that, that, that would just be my simple take. And then you just have to, again, listen and help people ask questions of their assumptions. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, from an evangelistic perspective to build on that, um, as, as you were going through, uh, you know, the tumultuous, uh, 2020s, uh, season, um, what kind of conversations were you having with, um, lost people and, or, political leaders that may or may not have been believers as a a pastor, as a leader of a shepherd of a community of people, were you able to engage in like-minded conversations or opposite conversations just for the purpose of engagement and gospel presentation? Well, two things. I mean, first of all, I wasn't really prepared in 2020 to do that, to be honest. So I didn't do very well there. Um, the other thing I would say is that everyone was hurting. Everyone had the same issues. And so having conversations with people and listening to, to their stories is, you know, that's was the way through. I mean, we had to, we had to cancel and not meet at church, blah, blah, blah. We had, we had church outside in our, in our backyard and neighbors came because they were hurting too. And so I think, I think it presents an opportunity, but but not if you're going to say you have to be Republican to be Christian. I'll okay. just say that. I mean, I, uh, I don't know that I, um, people don't have to do that hurdle, jump that hurdle first to be Christian. You can't make that the first hurdle. You're going to have well, these conversations. I, I, I will just, I'm not pushing back on it. I will share just a, a text that came in. It was a, an email we received in regards to this presentation which was, it's simple. You can't be a Democrat and a Christian period. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now I happen to know people that align with the democratic party and maybe are card carrying members. I don't know. Um, but I do know that there are believers in Jesus Christ and Democrats, but the, but the, but the, uh, I'll say the mentality or the thought that goes along with you can't be and period. Mm -hmm. You, You could put that, you know, you can put that on anything. Not just the Democrats, you can put on rock music, right? You can't listen to rock music and be a Christian. I mean, you can't you can't drive a Tesla and be a Christian. I mean, say what you want. That doesn't make it so, first of all. And and the other thing is I I mean, I'm not gonna say I I agree with you know the platform of the Democratic Party. I don't. I'm not democratic. I'm not a Democrat. I am democratic, but I'm not a Democrat. And I'm not uh I'm actually independent. But um, or unaffiliated. So I, partly I want to keep my head down. That's why, but I don't, uh, 
Yeah, I don't. I think if you make a party affiliation a requirement to be a Christian in America in 2024, then you you yourself are going to distort the gospel because the gospel is that is not the gospel. You're believing a different gospel. You are understanding a different problem, trying to solve it with a different means. And so that's my thought. Okay, um, thank you. So here's a here's a question that came in. I'm going to read it. It's a, a little paragraph. So so follow along with me. You've described a problem and illustrated it with your experiences and said we should pay attention to this. Good. I missed your core diagnosis of the root cause. However, in my experience, it's that the church has lost a firm footing on the scriptures, has abandoned obedience to the entirety of the teachings, and as a result, we can't tell, um, a la Spurgeon, the almost true from the fully true. So the question is, how do pastors and teachers discern and correct their own culturally influenced corruption of their view of scripture? So that's a that's a packed question. I don't know if you see that there. Yes, that is a packed question. And thank you uh, for that. Th yeah, definitely there is an issue with the scriptures that we don't see it, you know, as it is. We're unable to see it like, you know, between the almost true and the fully true. I think that's a great um, way to say it. However, one of the things that's very, very interesting and keeps me very, very humble is the history of biblical interpretation in this country. Read many, read like three or four books on biblical interpretation in the Civil War, for instance, when the North understood it, to, the scriptures to teach abolition and the South understood uh, the scriptures to teach slavery. Uh, or the way that the scripture was handled during the Revolutionary War. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, we say, and and they said then too, after the First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, we we submit to the authority of the scripture, and our a lot of our understanding of the scripture is very culturally determined. Uh, I read a book this last year about actually racism in Oregon City. I walked to the place where it happened from my church and they wrote about the pastor of the first baptist church which was the ancestor of our church and his his complicity with that racism and and the the um, essentially the conclusion of the matter the the author said uh his name was ezra fisher ezra fisher was a man of his times hmm. and the reality is we're we're men and women of our times and we have to really work at at submitting to the scriptures not the scriptures as we think them to be uh, or as we think them to even be speaking to the things that we really want them to speak about but to all of life so anyway that's not exactly the question um there the question assumed many other things underneath you know culturally but but for me i'm i'm quite humbled by the fact that we've missed the boat over and over and over again with the scriptures as a church in America. Okay, a couple more questions. Um, one, uh, and I'll summarize it. You know, uh, we've been taught that it's unwise, and in some in some situations, um, uh, crossing the threshold of IRS nonprofit five hundred one c three status, we can't endorse candidates. Um, but then the question would be: um, Do you believe there's ever a threshold for church leaders to openly denounce specific leaders from the pulpit? So on the opposite side of that, um, you know, I would, uh, there may be, there may be a place to speak on things like that. Uh, I would say you're probably best off being oblique a little bit, uh, like I was even in this conversation <laughs> and, uh, make clear that there are issues there. You can raise the issues without, uh, naming a person, I think. That would be one thing. I think the other thing is to the degree that you want to play in the uh, mud pit is the degree which you're going to get muddy. And yep. if you can, if you can point out the mud, that's one thing. If you jump in the mud, that's another story. So sure. Sure. We, we're to pray for our leaders yeah. uh, and, and none of them are like the Caesars. Um, I, we think about Bart, we think about Bonhoeffer that they openly spoke out about yeah. the evils of you know nazi socialism without you know necessarily pointing a finger at one person that would have got their head cut off mm -hmm. um 
Another question, how would you then encourage and or initiate family conversation? And this is either family, you know, in a, in a home or just as a church family, as we gather um, within and between people in your congregation. So you're talking about um, my extended personal extended family, not family con church conversations. I'm, I'm not. Well, it just says family conversations. So um, in, in relationships, uh, is there, I know a friend, Chris Rich, he, he works with me. Um, he put together um, a discipleship conversation guide about politics. Mm -hmm. And all it was, was a series of questions as it related to scriptures that were open-ended enough to just get the dialogue going. Okay. Um, um, as far as the dialogue goes, I think that uh, some of it is talking about some of those things, even in preaching as an application point, not as a, I'm, you know, telling you what to believe point, but just acknowledging, yes, uh, government's going to be on his shoulders and beginning those, beginning to talk about it as uh, a church leader. But I think the other thing is there are other tools that you can have. I mean, uh, there is going to be, there is already a curriculum called after party that you could use. Uh, and that's a, that's designed for the very thing to have conversations in churches. Uh, that would be one thing. You Let me could, stop you. After party, where would someone go to find that? Uh, uh, Afterparty.org. Let me just make sure I've got the uh, right address here. Uh, yeah, www.after-party.org. We'll get you there. So that's one thing. I, I think the other thing you could do is you could have... Uh, um, you could have conversations about it. Just raise the issue in in small groups, or don't you know? Don't be afraid of it, and make it okay to disagree. That's I think that's the thing. This is the church needs to be the place and train listening, train question asking. You know, do those kinds of things. Train good conversations rather than training issues. Help people mm -hmm. respect one another. That, I think that would be the other thing that I would do to help the conversations. Okay. And that, so just one, one last thought then to build on that before we close, um, how do we do that? Because we know that whatever side of the political spectrum, their, their news media is not designed for good, honest conversations. They're designed to attack, to polarize fear. Uh, it, it raises money, right? It's all about, yeah. it's all about positioning and it's all about commercial advertisement. So, so th they're not good at, teaching and discipling anyone to sit down and have a family conversation, whether that's internal family or church family about these issues and helping people to identify with that. So how do we counteract that? What are some ways we can actually teach people to dig into difficult conversations, not worrying about the outcome of where that might go, but just teaching basic? Well, I, I think, you know, teaching, teaching people to, Again, have conversations. I mean, I I tell you, I read I read two or three books a year about how to have better conversations, how to ask better questions, because mm -hmm. that I think is important. Um, I've got uh, I, I I do have a handout that I can make available for uh, churches to have uh, just to to think about questions to make people a little more thoughtful, humble wise in the way that they approach it because i think that's the thing we get so sure of ourselves because we've seen it on the news and we're not really willing to to listen like that so i can make that uh available if you want i mean one of the things that we're going to do um uh, eric my calling co-host on sitting on the hill is that we're putting together uh, a seminar to do for churches that may help the conversation as well I'm doing the first one of those uh, later this month in Southern Oregon. And uh, we can uh, be happy to try and help you hands on with those questions if that's uh, any good too. So okay. just well, we're going to have to wrap up. So Scott, thank you so much. A couple things. There's more questions there that we couldn't get to, um, but um, we are bringing on other guests. Uh, Josh Lane, pastors in Sacramento, California. He's a friend of ours, connected with a seminary, connect with some churches up here. Uh, he is also the executive uh, director of the Northern California and Nevada uh, Conservative Baptist Churches. So he's going to talk about the, the challenge of unity and divisive times. 
Uh, Todd Miles is going to share, Western Seminary Prof. Uh, Josh Butler has got a book on exiles coming out. And so there's more conversation being built along the line. But just to close with this, you are teaching a class at Western Seminary. Why don't you share for 30 seconds about it, and we'll give close our time. Uh, I am teaching a class at Western Seminary on um, the church in public, and that's going to be March 1st and 2nd. Uh, you can't, I don't think you can register any longer as a student, but you could register for audit if you were interested in local. And um, it's going to have, you know, what, what I crammed in 35 minutes here, it's going to have like 14 hours of conversations about politics there, along with some readings and some other things. So, okay. All right. Well, thanks, Scott. And thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, next month, uh, we'll be there. I think it's it's the first Wednesday of every month. So February 7th, I believe, but um, we'll be there. And uh, Pastor Josh Lane will be joining us and talking about unity in divisive times. And um, Scott will give me his outline, his handout, whatever, and we'll get that out to you. So thank you so much. God bless you. And I hope you have a great day.